When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So this is my weekly wrap-up video where I grab a couple different topics that I think are important and I delve deeper into them. And I only have three today. Uh, precious metals, the situation in the Persian Gulf uh, with Iran, and oil prices and what they potentially mean for the U.S. economy. Now, I want to start off here with precious metals because it's been a very interesting couple days, even just since my video yesterday where I was talking about gold kind of knocking on the door of 1400 Well, last night, overnight, it actually spiked up as high as uh, around 1410 Silver uh, over $15.50. It's a big move up. Now, since then, has retraced a fair bit of that. As you can see here, in the early morning, it crashed down quite a bit, as low as 1383. Since then, has recovered uh, quite a bit of that. And as we head into market close, I'm recording this at 222 Central Time. So, so uh, you know, a little over 30 minutes left uh, before the market's closed for the weekend. Just shy of $1,400. Now, it doesn't matter a whole lot, and in my mind, whether or not it closes above fourteen hundred, uh, the, the the truth of the matter is that it did break that resistance, even if it was overnight in the U.S. markets. The key resistance was broken uh, a couple days ago on the back of the Fed meeting, that uh, thirteen forty, uh, sorry, thirteen fifty, thirteen sixty dollar range, and whether or not it tops fourteen hundred, I mean that's just kind of icing on the cake. Now there's a lot of reason that we might see it close above fourteen hundred, but it doesn't matter a whole lot. Uh, in my mind, it's it's a good week all around for gold and to some extent silver as well. In fact, you know, if I give you a full five day perspective here, you know, silver, if we go back to the 17th, was trading well below $15 an ounce, you know, as low as around 1480. Uh, it's about a 50 cent gain. Not huge, not as much as I would like to see, but I'm not too worried about that. I actually plan on buying some silver later today, so that's fine, right? It's a couple uh, cents cheaper per ounce, sure. Uh, gold, obviously, uh, has had a very good week. Now, it's not a huge outperformance, but as you can see, gold breaking through those key resistance levels. Uh, earlier this week, I mean, we're talking about gold in a $1,330 range, 1330 to 1340 Today we're talking about knocking the door fourteen hundred. It wasn't that long ago that it was you know one hundred fifty dollars cheaper than what it is right now. I mean, look at this chart. It doesn't get much better than that for uh, precious metals owners, especially uh, those that have gold. I mean, look at this. This was back in twenty uh, second of May that it was in around twelve seventy, twelve seventy two, right? And and if we go back an entire year from now. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, going back to uh, September, roughly, or even August, where it was as low as like 1170-something, right? So so quite a bit of move up for gold, obviously not as extreme for silver. It still hasn't knocked out some of those numbers that it, it made around $16 an ounce in February and in the end of January. But that'll happen. Again, I'm not too worried about silver ultimately catching up and out for performing gold. Um, now... 
I just see the the fact that gold or gold ultimately did break that resistance. I reference my video that I did like a week or two ago now, titled "Why I'm Stacking Silver but Watching Gold." I mean, it, basically, I see gold leading the way. That once it breaks through these key resistance levels, which it has thirteen uh, fifty, thirteen sixty, and uh, I mean, officially, it's broken through fourteen hundred. Hasn't closed above fourteen hundred, but obviously, it's knocking on the door of that right now. As I speak, you can see it ticking up then it's going to move up, I think, quite rapidly. Not to say there won't be consolidation along the way, but once it get past that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised to see silver play catch up and, and outperform it, watching that ratio come down. It's not going to you know, happen overnight, right? These are, are longer-term market factors. Uh, people noticing that, hey, silver is still playing a monetary role. In fact, uh, I think it was Money Metals Exchange or Keith uh, uh, Weiner, however you pronounce his last name, over from Money Metals Exchange. Uh, he had actually recently written an article talking about uh, silver and gold and how, yeah, silver is still a monetary metal. And he talked about silver and it's, you know, this, this discussion about is silver a, a commodity or is it a monetary metal? And, and and there's some research that was done comparing the price action in the silver market versus copper, which is a base metal, uh, largely industrial metal, and oil. And and what you found is that the, the greatest correlation was with gold, that for the most part, it would follow gold. It wasn't copper or oil that it would follow. And and I think that's borne out in, in days like this or weeks like this where we see silver moving up. Now, I mean, we could bring up what copper futures are, but as a whole, silver has correlated best with gold. It is still a monetary metal. It's just a matter of time before people realize that, hey, this ratio is crazy high. It's the highest it's been since the early 90s. And whether it's it's uh, people like you and I, you know, stackers, consumers, you know, buying a couple hundred ounces, a couple dozen ounces, a couple ounces, whatever it is for you. Uh, and and thus uh, create a bit of a squeeze in the physical market, or you know, unfortunately, but but the truth of the matter it could just be paper investors too, right? Speculators, right? It could be the bullion banks, right? J.P. Morgan uh, uh, going long silver and 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 allowing it to to rise considerably. But you know, for the time being, as we see, you know, as I speak, gold topping fourteen hundred dollars an ounce. I I'm feeling pretty good about this rise. Uh, is it the bull market? I think it is. I mean, I, I think I can say that pretty confidently. Not to say we couldn't see a uh, correction, right? Gold dropping below 1350 again. I mean, that's absolutely possible, right? But it's broken through that resistance level. And there is a ton of factors in play, including economic, geopolitical, and monetary policy that points to, to this bull market having already begun. And and I'll talk more about that in my video tomorrow. You know, uh, how much time do we have left? Uh, I, I don't want to be a pumper. I don't want to push, I guess, fear of missing out type of, of stuff. But I think it's an important discussion to talk about, you know, how much longer do we have before silver and gold are, are I don't know, less affordable for us to stack at our current pace, uh, especially with gold, you know, above 1400 Silver, you know, $15 range is still very, very reasonable. But for gold about 1400 I mean, it hasn't been that high since like 2014. So anyways, moving on, I, I find this incredibly interesting. This is from Zero Hedge. We were <laughs> cocked and loaded 
I, it's just a funny turn. Now I get it. You like you cock a handgun, but it just usually you think like locked and loaded. But anyways, whatever. Okay. Trump explains why he called off Iran strikes in last moment from Zero Hedge, and and they go over it here. So basically, the the synopsis of this is that late last night, a strike was ordered by the Trump administration on Iran. But about 10 minutes before it ultimately took place, in fact, you can see it right here, 10 minutes before this strike, I stopped it. Not proportionate to shooting down an unmanned drone. So the point of this was uh, he was going to retaliate last night at three different sites. Now, I, I'm assuming he, he misspelled sites. He used the wrong one. I, I, okay, okay. I'll stop criticizing that guy for a second. Uh, three different sites. I'm assuming, you know, radar or, or missile launch sites or whatever. Okay. And when asked how many will die, 150 people, sir, was the answer from a general. Ten minutes before the strike, I stopped it. Not proportionate to shooting down an unmanned drone. And, you know, immediately, the, the, the guy can't win. I Okay, I'll say it. I'll, I'll give you guys my opinion right here. If I don't know if you guys care or not. Um, for the time being, I'd say bravo, Mr. Trump. Right? I'm not always super positive on the guy, right? I take it... Uh, uh, Move by move, you know, some things I like, some things I don't. But for the time being, assuming that this doesn't lead to further escalation, we just strike anyways tonight, right? By the time you watch this video, maybe we already have struck them. I think this was the right move. I get it. I get it. Iran shot down on drone, and there's disputes over whose airspace it was flying in. But it was an unmanned drone, Right? The, the attacks on the tankers, I still see as very inconclusive, never mind what the U.S. says. And I know people are going to disagree with me, and that's fine. But if you look at this from a broader perspective, if you look at this from the Iranian perspective, uh, we've been pushing their buttons for quite a while in terms of pulling out of the nuclear deal more recently over the last couple of months, uh, uh, getting rid of, of any waivers on their oil exports, basically telling countries, no, we're cutting you off. You can't import their oil anymore with, I think, maybe a few countries choosing to still do so. But we're cutting them off economically. I don't care what we think. That's that's an act of war one way or another. I mean, if a different country did that to us, I mean, how would we respond if they cut us off economically? Oil is the lifeblood of many Middle Eastern countries, including Iran. I get it. It's not us lobbing missiles at them. It's not us shooting down a drone, but the economic consequences of that are very real. We're talking poverty. We're talking about loss of standard of living. We're talking about a really tough position. I mean, look at the inflation rate in Iran right now, the Iranian real. It's, it's very high. I mean, they're, they're experiencing a lot of economic pain as a result of this. Am, am I sympathizing with the regime? No, absolutely not. You guys know how I approach these situations. A lot of times, there doesn't have to be a good guy, right? It doesn't have to be a good guy, bad guy. It can be both uh, guys are, are bad in one way or another, right? Maybe some worse than others. But, but again, back to this. Good now. Now, do I honestly believe that Trump's rationale behind this was that 150 people was too much? I, first of all, I, I I don't know. I find it hard to believe 150 people would have died in the first place. Maybe who knows. But I somehow I doubt it. But do I think that it was about the loss of life? Not so much. Maybe. Maybe I'm totally wrong in analyzing his, his thought process here. But more so, I see it this way. Yesterday, 
when Trump was asked initially about the Iranians shooting down the drone. His words basically were that they made a huge mistake. He believes a huge mistake was made. Not in the sense of, you've made a big mistake, look who you're messing with, but more so, I think he was giving them a way out. He even said so. He thinks somebody screwed up. He wasn't. They weren't following orders. Rogue. Some rogue element of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard acted in a, a uh, and, and made a poor decision. A big mistake, as he would describe it. He was giving the Iranians a way out. Now, the Iranians didn't really take that. They they continued to tout the, sh- the shooting down of the drone. And, and okay, again though, I think there there's the two perspectives behind this attack or this this almost attack was a again to give the Iranians a way out to say look at I'm practicing restraint. We have the capabilities. We were this close to launching this strike. I wouldn't be surprised if the Iranians could see this in some of their radar systems. But I'm holding back. Is it about the loss of life? Maybe, maybe not. I think, again, it's giving them a way out. In fact, Iran responded and they said something along the lines of, of, hey, you know, the other day, we had the opportunity to shoot a manned aircraft out of the sky. It was a, a P-8. Uh, it was like a surveillance uh, uh, aircraft, um, P-8 Poseidon or something like that. That was, I think, flying in in uh, close uh, proximity to the to the actual surveillance drone, and they said, you know, we we could have shot that down. Thirty five people were on it, but we chose not to. Again, restraint. And so I hope that that's that's a a, a bit of an olive branch, if you will, that they're sending each other, right? Sending messages through this. But the the other side of this, a very well could have been a dry run. It could have been the U.S. Uh, you know, launching whatever types of aircraft we were going to be using, B-2 bombers, uh, F-22, F-35, whatever, uh, or, or something maybe a little bit more vanilla, uh, arming the cruise missiles and whatnot. And it was about testing their defenses. Let's see what radars are on. Let's test it. And and who knows? It could be neither of these things. It could have been that, hey, uh, something went wrong. Maybe the, the Iranians were tipped off somehow. By, by the Russians, by by their own intel, and and you know the last thing you'd want in the situation is to to launch an attack like this, especially with aircraft, and have some of them shot down. That would be uh, bad, not only in terms of of creating quite the escalation, but also it would probably make Trump look bad. Uh, American lives lost. It, it could have just been that you know there's a a glitch, technological glitch, and this is just an excuse used. But but my perspective is that this was them potentially sizing up Iran's defenses, as well as giving them a way out. But going into the weekend, we'll see. Tonight, tomorrow night, Sunday, uh, it'll be very interesting to see if this happens or not. Right? I, I, I'll be honest with you guys. I find war to be really interesting. Countries sizing up each other like this. But the loss of life is tragic for, for the service members on both sides. Right? These are human lives I'm talking about here. But, but also even just the civilians and, and the economic damage uh, it, all around. I just said it is a bad thing. And, and the fact that we were on the cusp of potentially a major conflict last night, that, that's, a, that's a sobering thought. And yet, hopefully, this is a, a genuine uh, attempt at, at restraint and peace. We'll see. Uh, next 24, next 48 hours, next 72 hours. I think we'll have a good feeling about 
whether or not the Iranians are, are going to accept this or not. Uh, the Iranians very well could see this as a move of weakness. They could then choose to uh, further provoke us, whether it's another drone. I don't, I don't know if they'll do that again, but, but it could be tankers. It could be uh, Navy maneuvers, whatever, right? Uh, we'll see. But if they don't, and if both sides can, can step back here for a second, that's, that's ideal because a war with Iran I don't think would be good for either side. So even if the U.S. would win it, it, it would be there would be a cost for, for both sides, and that's not something I want to see. So anyways, finally, the last topic I wanted to talk about was oil prices. Now, this is from Wall Street. This is something I've wondered about in the past as well. From Wolf Richter, really enjoy his work, and, and the title of this is Bring Out Higher Oil Prices. They'll boost the U.S. economy. Powell sees it too, a new experience for the U.S. And so the point of this is that oil prices have been rising on these these uh, tensions. Actually, they had been quite a bit higher. They moved down, but they've been recovering some. As he pointed out, a mini spike as of late. And he, he talked about how rising oil prices are no longer necessarily a negative for the U.S. economy because of just how much oil we produce now. Right? You see this right here in this chart. Uh, a huge move up lately over the last five, over the last 10 years in terms of, of crude oil and petroleum products, approaching 17 million barrels per day. And uh, another way to drive this home would be the U.S. net imports of crude oil and petroleum products, basically around zero, right? Becoming almost a net exporter. And that, that is a big deal for the United States. Right? It's probably been a very long time since that was the case. And so the idea behind this is that if oil prices move up, it's going to be a net benefit because shale oil, which is responsible for most of this, is struggling at current prices. But with higher prices, you could see greater investment. And the oil they're bringing out of the ground, they're going to make more money from. Right, And even the consumers that are going to see higher oil prices or higher you know, gasoline prices, that's going to go back into the U.S. economy. That's going to be a net positive. And I get where he's coming from, and it's hard to totally disagree. Now, I'm no fan of higher uh, gasoline prices. Never mind what, what shale oil and if it benefits them. No, I'm not. How many people are willing to pay an extra dollar per gallon of gas just because it benefits uh, some oil field in, in Texas or, or the Dakotas or something? No. But I get the logic behind it. However, I'm also a big believer that shale oil is a huge bubble. Namely, that this big move up, if I can find it again, in oil production in the last 10 years, the last 8 years, which has primarily been the result of fracking, of shale oil, etc., is a bubble that it is not an economic resource, that there has been a ton of misallocated capital that has allowed this production to move up so much but it's just long-term not going to be profitable. The, the cost of this, the economic as well as ecological cost of this, continues to rise. And I'm not going to go all environmentalist on you. We can just focus on the economic side of things. It requires more and more effort to extract a barrel of oil each year. I mean, you can look at Steve San Angelo and his work on this, his whole EROI 
what is it, energy return on investment, his his whole thesis on this. And and I I'm in complete agreement with, with that's kind of the direction that things are heading here in the shale oil sector here in the United States. Not to say that oil is completely going to go away. I mean, there are maybe some profitable shale oil companies or fields or, or portions of fields. Obviously, uh, other more conventional means, whether it's offshore or onshore drilling for oil, uh, that's probably profitable in many cases. But over time, as this becomes, you know, as it's very similar picture to, to gold and silver. Gold and silver ore grades as a whole are, are dropping. It's becoming more and more expensive to extract them from the ground. A similar story for shale oil. It's getting harder and harder to get at this oil in these oil fields. Not to say it's not there. There's a ton of it. But at what cost? 40 50 60 70 80 dollars a barrel and so eventually as this you know investment uh ratchets up, ratchets up again very well could and and oil production increases and we become even a net exporter it's me at what cost i mean you look at the shale oil sector it is drowning in debt it is a bubble waiting to pop and and people are now talking about more investment and, and yeah, there's a ton of technology. There's a ton of techniques that they can use. But it all costs more and more money. And it adds to the bottom line of how much it costs per barrel of oil. And so, hey, we could go on for another year or two of this overall trend, oil production increasing. We could top 20 billion, sorry, 20 million dollar, uh, barrels uh, of crude oil and petroleum products a day. That'd be great now. But at what cost, Right. We could be talking sixty, seventy dollar barrel uh, uh, barrels of oil, the cost of the oil, and that's just not economic at some point, right? Especially if the the overall trend in prices is you know sideways or where where are the prices here, you know sideways or, or down or you know at what point is the price of oil just not going to support it? We we know that at at forty five at forty dollars a a barrel, that's not going to support a lot of these shale shale oil companies a lot of their fields you know maybe about 60 or 70 right now it, it it's economic but if it you know a year from now a year or two years from now the price per barrel could have gone up by another couple bucks a couple five you know five bucks and you look at countries like like a i don't know saudi arabia iran right a lot of those gulf countries or just more conventional means to extract oil their cost per barrel is much much lower right they can stay profitable at very low prices. Plus, you have the fact that a lot of these companies are drowning in debt. So never mind what uh, the the price of, of per barrel is is on the market and, and what they're you know what what they're producing it at. You also have to take into consideration things like debt servicing. And as these companies have more and more to service, again, Steve Sanchel has done an excellent job of, of uh, covering this over the years. As they cost more and more to produce each barrel of oil. Or sorry, to, to to service that debt, that it that essentially increases their cost to produce a barrel of oil. And so, you know, over the short term, yeah, this can stimulate investment, right? It can create a bit of a boost for the economy. And but I'm a still not buying the whole higher oil prices are good for the consumer piece of it. And B, how long can this go on? Because that cost continues to go up to produce these barrels of oil in, in the shale oil sector. It's a bubble, just like there are so many other bubbles. It's been enabled by low interest rates, easy money. 
I mean, this would not have been possible in a, uh, a, a situation where we had higher interest rates for, for that period of time where interest rates were. I mean, they're still low today, but but I'm talking from 2009 to, to you know, 2015, 2016. If that was not the case, this bubble probably wouldn't have formed. I don't know how much of it is is necessarily just improvements in technology. Right? I have a feeling this technology, maybe some of it's new, but a lot of it's probably been there for quite some time. I'm no expert on fracking or, or shale oil, but I have a feeling the concept has been around for quite a while. It's just that if you can service that debt at a very low interest rate, it becomes a little more attractive. But what happens when corporate debt begins to roll over? A lot of, when we talk about high yield corporate bonds, aka junk bonds, a lot of those a lot of that debt oftentimes is in the natural resource sector or specifically the energy sector, more specifically the shale oil sector. And when those interest rates go up and up, it becomes harder and harder to invest more money because it takes more to take out that loan in terms of, of servicing that debt. And rolling over that debt becomes much, much more expensive, right? It'd be like, I don't know, uh, uh, rolling over your own credit card debt from from you know, a 10% interest rate to a 20% interest rate. That's just for example. That's what a lot of these companies are going to have to deal with uh, if if the credit market uh, really begins to suffer um, even more in the next year or two. So I guess that's my perspective on, on how oil affects us all. Plus, consumers don't like higher gas prices, never mind what economists say. We don't like it, right? Higher cost to, to heat our homes in many cases, maybe electricity, uh, food prices because of the cost of transit. Yeah, none of that's really attractive for us, and it's really not a, a uh, I don't see it as an, an economic positive. Maybe for some shale oil uh, employees and, and companies over the short term, but long term, I don't see their prospects as super positive. Not to say that shale oil will be dead. It's just we have to think long and hard about is this really economic at the current scale that we're producing it at? So anyways, as always, thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for watching this video, listening to this podcast, and God bless.